Well, welcome to View from the Press Box. Brad Hallier and Scott Hogan with you as we will talk about state championship Saturday this past Saturday for state football. We've got high school basketball tipping off. We've got KU, Sterling College, and more as we'll jump right in. And Brad, you and I, we're going to start to let's save our game for, for about last because we had such a great game as we had all the state championships. We made it. We crowned six champions between Friday and Saturday this last week. And uh, I think that was a lot to be said all on its own before we jump into the games that we, we, we made it through fall um, with a few bumps, but pretty much a successful fall season. Yeah. If you include eight man and, and six man, I think it's actually what nine state champions nine, altogether. Yeah. So, uh, and, and of course, six man isn't official case sanctioned yet, but uh, it, for all intents and purposes, uh, we got a six man champion too. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think when the season started, there was a lot of doubt about, you know, not only if, if uh, we're going to crown any state champions, but if the, the, the entire season was going to be played. And I think that more teams probably, I, I, I hate to put, put a percentage, Scott, but I would have to say 75 to 80% of the teams probably had at most one game canceled. Like Derby, I think, had one game canceled. Uh, there are several who had one game canceled. But then you had others like Hutchinson who didn't get a single game canceled. So it, I, I think, uh, you know, kudos to all the athletic uh, directors out there in Kansas for – and not just soccer. This goes across all sports, you know, whether it's tennis or golf or soccer or volleyball. This did a tremendous job of getting the season complete. Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, the challenge ahead for them uh, for winter sports, but we'll we'll touch on that um, when we get later on in the podcast. So let's start in 6A, and well, ho-hum, Derby wins again. Big surprise to, I think, everybody. Uh, convincing fashion over Blue Valley North, 56-31. You know, we talked about Derby. They had those two early losses. Mill, Val- Mill Valley actually handled them. Um, which was surprised a lot of us. And we'll talk about Mill Valley because they are state champions as well. But then Derby, that may have done them more good than harm, losing that early game to them. I think it refocused them. And then they just they just rolled through the playoffs. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, what uh, Derby went through, their schedule, uh, playing Bishop Carroll and playing Mill Valley and the ABCTL Division One was just loaded this year. When you have a team like Newton that finished what two and seven this year, and they were and, and their wins came against Salina South by one point, and then they they rolled campus in week eight. But when they played Hutchinson in the first round, and many people were considering that game a toss up between a seven and two and two and seven team, and it had nothing to do with really how good Hutchinson was, but it had to do with how good Newton was. And they only lost to Derby 43-31. So ABC Hill Division One was just loaded this year. Their other loss was to Mays, a team that Hutchinson beats and then won the conference. So essentially you had the third place team in ABC Hill Division One that won the 6A state championship. So uh, it, it should never be a surprise that Derby wins a state title. But what's surprising to me was just how they just just rolled through the postseason. They just hammered everybody in their path. Uh, a derby rolls on in 6A, and we alluded to 5A already. Mill Valley uh, defeated uh, Wichita Northwest 49-35. to So, uh, you know, the City League, there was a lot of contention there early in the year when they were not going to play. Then they, uh, they missed effectively all of September pretty much. Um, before they decided, hey, we are going to play. So uh, kudos to Wichita Northwest, even with the with the late start, the the jumbled up schedule and rescheduling. Um, they had a great season, um, just lost by a couple of touchdowns to um, probably what we would believe is the best team in 5A. Yeah, I think you could probably make a case that Mill Valley was, was the best team in Kansas this year, considering that they uh, beat Derby as bad as they did. And... Yeah, considering that they didn't, that they weren't even sure uh, going into September if there was even going to be a city league uh, football schedule, they just were able to play a regular season against fellow public schools. But incidentally enough, they got to play both private schools, Capen and Carroll, in the playoffs, and they beat both of them. So no doubt that uh, Northwest was the best team in Wichita. But boy, I really feel for this Northwest program. Three straight years now, they've been undefeated going into the state championship game, and they've lost each time. You know, we talked about this before, you know, there, you just get so many chances before they, before they run out. And I really hope that Northwest, uh, they, that they continue to get a chance and get that elusive state championship. Yeah, that's, uh, 
that is tough. It's almost uh, when we as we move into the four A state championship game, it's almost like McPherson. They've been, if I heard right, they have been to the semifinals four years in a row, and I think they hosted either all of those years or three out of four of those years that game, and they have not been able to advance to the state title game. So I think uh, McPherson certainly knows what Wichita Northwest is is going through they've just they've been denied even getting to that game yeah it's uh gosh you know this was we we knew that 4a west was just going to be wide wide open this year you know we kind of thought all along that you know bueller may have been that team that kind of came out uh and, and you know made it to the state championship game or maybe someone like andover central again or even somebody like el dorado who had a had a historical season Turned out to be two and six Arc City that yeah. ran the gauntlet and made it to the state championship game. And they, I tell you what, they competed in that game against a very good St. James Academy team, uh, losing 56 to 34. But boy, I tell you what, you really have to tip your hat to Arc City because not only did they run the gauntlet of, of making it to the state championship game with, I'm not sure they played a single home game. I don't think they did play a single home game, but they, they proved that they belonged. Yeah, they did. I mean, and this is no disrespect to them. A lot of people will say, well, that St. James Bishop Miege 36-35 overtime game in the semifinals. A lot of people will say, well, that was your that was your state championship game. But, you know, that Arc City played the people that they they put in front of them, including a McPherson team and and beat them on the road. So and that was a close game into the second half before St. James pulled away. So as we move into 3A, and again, no surprise, I don't think to anybody, it was a rematch of uh, the game last year between Andale and Perry LeCompton. Andale beat Perry LeCompton 35-7 last year and shut them out this year in the title game, 20 to nothing. just doing what Andale does. They play that ball-hawking defense. They did not let the cause um, get any points, and then they just grounded out um, with their their power running game and and Andale, you know they graduated quite a few of those kids from last year's team, but you can tell how hard those underclassmen work. They just moved some some players up, plugged them into key positions, and here they are again, state title holders. Four consecutive shutouts to end the postseason, <laughs> and not against just anybody. Clearwater, Wichita Collegiate, Riley County, and and of course Perry LeCompton. I mean they. They beat some good teams. They shut out some good teams along the way. I think pound for pound, this Andale team was the best team in Kansas this year. And what I mean by that is, you know, could they have beaten Mill Valley? You know, we, we, we don't know. Uh, you know, I would probably say Mill, Mill Valley would probably win that game. But when you just compare what they did against their competition this year, I mean, they just pulverized everybody. Just a, a dominant season. Coach Dylan Schmidt just got them rolling right now. Just two losses in his tenure. And, you know, can they do it again next year? Uh, no, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Yeah, and we move into 2A. And probably on paper, the best matchup of, of any around the state this uh, last weekend, it was 12-0 Rossville, 12-0 Hoisington. And Hoisington came ever so close to their first state title, but ended up falling short 27-20. to This was... I don't know that this was ever um, not a one-score, or if it was a two-score, it quickly got back to a one-score game the entire night. But Rossville showed why um, they've been so dominant as of recent memory. Yeah, they're kind of, they've, kind of, they've kind of taken over for Silver Lake uh, for that dominant team up around the Topeka area you know, for several years of Silver Lake. And, of course, Silver Lake uh, lost to Rossville this year 50-35. to They call it the war on 24 when they get together. And, boy, I tell you, you know, Scott, I might be mistaken for saying this, but I think 2A may have been the most competitive classification. And because, you know, you look at the semifinals when they beat uh, Nemaha Central 31 to 19, you know, a pretty close game there. And you, you look at Hoisington's path. I mean, yeah, they, they ended up beating Beloit fairly comfortably 26 to nothing, but that was a close game in the regular season. And, of course, Beloit got there with a pretty uh, tough game with Haven. Hoisington 28 to 14 over Garden Plain and Garden Plain eked out a 25 to 20 win over Hillsborough to get to that game. I mean, there are some good teams in two way this year. And I think a number of teams could have made that run. And ultimately the two best teams were playing, but boy, it, it, it was a competitive classification this year. 
It certainly was, and it, it was nice to see new team. Not that Hoisington is a new team, but they had never advanced to that point. So it was it was nice to see new blood in there. Especially we've talked a lot about Haven that um, run to the quarterfinals that they made, um, then lost in overtime. Well, Class 1A, uh, Olpe and Oakley hooked up. Of course, I saw Oakley um, in that 9 nothing win in the semis against Inman, uh, where they controlled the game, controlled the clock, uh, just unable to do that. I, that's what I was afraid of against Olpe. Olpe didn't get a lot of points. It was just a 14 nothing game, but Olpe's defense, who had allowed only 12 points the week before to Linden, ends up shutting out Oakley. So Oakley was... Again, playing for their first state title, they come up uh, 14-0 short to Olpe. And Olpe's uh, in, in Class 1A, they're another one of those teams that just seems to be there every year. And I, I like to give a lot of credit to Oakley. Uh, they, I don't want to say they kind of came out of nowhere, but they, they, they kind of did because 1A West, you know, you talk often about Smith Center for good reason. Then you got teams like Cedric that piles up the points every year, Conway Springs, and, of course, Inman. So I kind of think Oakley just kind of came from nowhere this year. They lost those two games. They lost them pretty bad to Smith Center and Inman. And then they gave up three points in the first round, went to Independence. And then they had a great game with Cedric, 27-24. to 24. Then they had back-to-back shutouts, shutouts. with, with uh, Smith Center and Inman. And only lost 14 nothing. So that defense was just playing at a very high level in the postseason. But you're right. Opie is just kind of one of those traditional 1A teams. They always seem to be there like a Centralia or a Smith Center. So – yeah, yeah, you know, Opie certainly has shown that they are, you know, now one of the top teams in small classification 11-man football. Well, we're going to jump over Division One of 8-man, and we'll go in the order they were played there in Newton on Saturday. So we go to the D2 game, which had a couple of Blue Bloods, Hanover, and as of recent Blue Bloods, St. Francis and Hanover once again uh, takes home Another state championship, 46-24. to 24. That's back-to-back losses in the title game. Division one last year for St. Francis, Division two this year. But, boy, Hanover, again, it's just they're one of those schools that they don't rebuild, they reload. And here they are again with another state title. Yeah, I, I don't know how they do it. I mean, goodness, they just seem every – I mean, I, uh, the coach, uh, I think his name is Matt Heyer or something like that, and – I think he's won six state championships there now. It's just a remarkable run that Hanover is having in football. Just simply remarkable. And they, they played a tough conference, too. You know, they played likes of, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they didn't play Frankfurt in the regular season, but I'm pretty sure that they're in the same conference. Axel's another team that's yes. usually really good. Um, they played Clifton Clyde this year, 40-20. to 20, So Clifton Clyde gave them a good game. Uh, yeah, they did play Axel in the regular season also. So they, they they're very they play in a tough conference and they just seem to go undefeated almost every year and they they just they just they didn't I wouldn't say they overwhelmed St. Francis but they were clearly better than St. Francis. Well, the second game of the day there in Newton, boy, I'm not so sure that I can't speak for the other uh, radio play-by-play guys. I'm not sure we didn't have the most entertaining and exciting state title game. Uh, anywhere in the state as we saw the Little River Redskins. Of course, I live just a couple miles out in the country west of Little River as they completed their state run, defeating on Saturday uh, Wichita County 70 to 58. I was thinking that was a 70 to 52, but maybe that, uh, maybe they got the score down there wrong. Anyhow, uh, Boy, it was. We looked up and it was six to six, and there were still over eleven minutes left in the first <laughs> quarter. And we kind of looked at one another. It's like this may be a shootout, and boy, was it ever! It yep. was a fifty-four thirty at halftime, and I, I go back. Uh, Coach Ayers was really great. We emailed a couple of times um, previous to the game. He gave me a game plan, and he he had said he felt like you know they were going to be undersized, and we saw that Wichita County had it. Had a big offensive line up front and defensive line. And Coach Ayers had said they had to take some chances um, with their blitz packages and with certain play calls during the game. And we remarked in the post game, every gamble they took paid off big time in that game. You know, the surprise onside kick 
in the second quarter when they had already built a two-score lead, made it a three-score lead because Little River uh, never punted in this ball game. They had the one turnover that they lost there in the third quarter when um, Wichita County is trying to get back into the game. But they really just came out, and they couldn't have executed a game plan any better, and they just did that throughout the entire playoffs. Yeah, I go back to, I think it was the last uh, uh, second or third quarter maybe, um, I think the, so they had the back, they had, uh, Wichita County scored right off the bat, Little River turned it over, Wichita County scored again. And then if I'm not mistaken, Scott, they had like third and long from almost midfield. And then they got a long touchdown pass and boy, it was yeah, just one of those other chances that they took. They had no momentum and they just took a chance on a deep pattern and it worked out. And then they had the late in the second quarter, I think like six seconds left. And you were kind of thinking, okay, they may have to try a field goal because they can do that with Graham Stevens. And they end up uh, just executing another play perfectly, scoring with one second left. I mean, you're right. Everything that they did, uh, it, it was as close to a perfect game as possible, especially offensively. I'm not so sure the play you're talking about wasn't a fourth down and something like 21 uh, that they converted over the top. It was it was unbelievable because you thought, yeah, they don't get this. They're going to give them the ball at midfield. Mm-hmm. And and this thing's going to get interesting. And, and, as, and we also remarked, there was not a pass that touched the ground in this game. There was an interception. Uh, Braxton Lafferty intercepted a, a wide receiver screen pass, and there was a Wichita County receiver bobbled the ball, went out of bounds before he gained control, but not a single <laughs> pass in the game hit the ground. And I think Little River, I think you had the stats either seven for seven or eight for eight. Um, you know, they they got Stevens established up the middle like they always seem to do, and that released Lafferty on a play action was wide open for a touchdown in that game. And the score you alluded to, um, I believe in that scenario there, that was when uh, they had, I think, Bryant Young caught the touchdown, yes. and then Ty Herzog got the two-point conversion catch um, at that point. And that was their only catches in the game, but it seemed like, okay – we needed somebody else to step up right now. And then those two stepped up. It was just, it was beautiful to watch. Yeah, it really was. Uh, the, you know, we knew that Stevens and Garrison, uh, by the way, many people are saying that Jalen Garrison or Jane Garrison's, uh, you know, best player in Kansas, uh, especially at the eight man level. Um, but yeah, they, they, they executed it so perfectly, the offense. And here's, here's how good I think Little River was offensively, Scott. I've remarked that, okay, so the third quarter, again, went Wichita County touchdown, Little River turnover, Wichita County touchdown. And the, the momentum at that point was about 99-1 to 1 in favor of Wichita County. And then they got the, then Little River gets the long touchdown pass to kind of stem the momentum. And then Wichita County goes out and they score again. And I just remarked, their crowd didn't even seem that excited about it. Their <laughs> sidelines didn't even seem that excited about it. I mean, they're within what? Uh, you know, 12, 14 points in the state championship game and a high-scoring shootout. And to me, that indicated that they almost they, – they, they just knew that they could not stop this Little River offense. It was just – I was just beside myself seeing that, that they scored a touchdown in the third quarter of a state championship game, two-score game, and a shootout, and they just didn't seem that excited about it. Well, they – they had been watching what we had watched, and and they just they knew their defense had no answer uh, for for the Little River offense. The only time Little River didn't score when they had the ball was the one fumble they lost, and then their final possession when they had gotten uh, Wichita County out of timeouts, and then they kneeled down. I mean that was that was it. They never punted. Uh, we thought they were going to once, and they converted that fourth and twenty one, and uh, just just an amazing. Amazing story, and, and it's a two-loss team. You know, they lost overtime to Clifton Clyde regular season, beat them by 20 in the playoffs, and they also lost to uh, number one Canton Galva in the regular season by 18 points. Um, didn't face them. We thought they would, but Madison knocked off um, Canton Galva, and then Little River just destroyed Madison. Um, 48-24 doubled them up. Um, and that was the fewest points they scored in the playoffs was 48. They scored 70 twice, um, run rule of Wichita County in the first game. It just, um, they just played their best football um, really after the loss to Canton Galva, which was really 
surprising. And Coach Ayers had said he thought those two losses galvanized them as a team, and obviously it did because they're holding the hardware. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Coach Ayers. And, you know, by the way, three state championships at three schools, that really puts him, in my opinion now, you can consider the, uh, Coach Ayers one of the top coaches in history of Kansas high school football. He's probably sitting there, you know, listening to this and say, oh, knock it off, you guys. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> I mean, not many coaches – first of all, it's not many coaches win a state championship. Not many coaches win two state championships. Not many coaches win three state championships. But to do it at three different schools just speaks a lot to his system. Well, and we brought up the interesting stat that the last time Little River had made the state title game in 2001, they lost to Jetmore, who was coached by Kevin Ayers. <laughs> well, what a matchup! What a matchup! Kevin Ayers and Shane Cordell. Oh, uh, that yeah, that was it. I mean, <laughs> that was a tremendous game, and now to come to Little River, uh, and 19 years after that, uh, win Little River another state football title. Uh, that, that was pretty amazing, and we got a lot of good feedback from some of the um, the families over in Little River. Appreciated our our uh, broadcast, and they also one of the parents commented uh, about you know not only is uh, Coach Ayer is a, a great coach, but a great man. He said the kids have learned an awful lot um, that wasn't anything about football from from Coach Ayers, and I think that speaks volumes about what they think about him over in Little River. Yeah, it's uh, it, you got to feel good for those people there, Scott. I mean, it's such a great community. We know a lot, you know, you know a lot of people there. I know a lot of people there. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite students I ever had, one of the editor, uh, she was one of the editors. You know, Brenda Ellers. I was texting her with her a little bit Saturday, just you know, say, wow, you know, look at the flatbed trailer of the fans. I mean, there's so much, <laughs> so so much excitement for this community, and, and and they deserve it. And you know what, Scott? We can maybe talk about this a little bit later on, but this could be the start of, of quite a remarkable athletic year for Little River Athletics. Oh, you think Jaden Garrison's a good football player? <laughs> wow. I, he, he is – you hate to say that he's better at basketball than football, but I don't think that's an understatement. He is super talented, and this team that they're going to field, they've got everybody back. Remember, they were in the state semis last year when the uh, plug was pulled on all of that, and that was without Graham Stevens. He missed all of basketball season last year. Uh, he'll be back. That'll give them – they played mostly six guys last year. That'll give them a seventh. Uh, wow. I, I will be very surprised if they're not in the mix uh, when we get into um, February and March. And don't forget about the spring with Graham Stevens. Uh, you say that Jane Garrison's best sport might be basketball. Stevens' best sport might be baseball. Yeah, he's a he's a tremendous pitcher, and we'll have I know we'll have them on the high school schedule uh, a couple three times coming up in the spring. So yeah, it's uh, um, the fun isn't over yet. Let's put it that way for uh, the school and the community of Little River. So those were the state uh, football games from this past Saturday. Of course, uh, basketball. We'll get to uh, high school basketball here in a minute, but we've got college basketball. Um, Ku and well, soon to be Wichita State um, on Ad Astra will get their season underway. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, um, so KU is getting ready to play Kentucky um, Tuesday night, and then later this week, Thursday, they'll be at home to play Washburn, and then home again for North Dakota State on Saturday. Well, of course, they got their uh, season kicked off on Thanksgiving. I I had the game on in the background. I, I, I can't say that I watched the whole game. I saw some of it when they lost to Gonzaga, 102-90. Came back the next day, a nice win over St. Joe, 94-72. So uh, what was your first impression of KU going 1-1 one and one over the, the first couple of nights of basketball? Yeah, I did actually watch most of the Gonzaga game and most of the St. Joe game. I think I missed maybe the first five minutes of the St. Joe game, but – Overall, I was actually pretty – I left there with a good feeling about the Jayhawks. I mean, yeah, you don't want to lose – you know, KU basketball doesn't like losing ever. And especially they don't, they don't find moral victories ever. And I'm sure Bill Self used the word soft to describe his team against Gonzaga plenty of times. But Gonzaga, they're preseason number one for a reason. I mean, they got so many good players. That Drew Timmy was just remarkable, 25 points in that game. I think if there's one thing that the Jayhawks might struggle against this year – is if they do have to play a team with a little bit of size like Gonzaga had. Now, it's not to say Gonzaga didn't, can't shoot the three. They, they can. 
but they just don't have the girth inside that they had last year with, you know, Yudoka Azubuki, who could go down there and bang around with some of those big guys. Now, having said that, I do think that they have extraordinarily good athleticism. You know, Ochai Agbaji had a great weekend. Christian Brown, I mean, 30 mm. points against St. Joe. Uh, you know, Marcus Garrett, we know who he is. He's, he's improved his ability to finish at the rim. Jalen Wilson had a nice weekend. Bryce Thompson had a nice weekend. I like this Dewan Harris, too. He had a nice uh, performance against St. Joe. Uh, and, and I think Mitch Lightfoot's going to be able to provide some minutes this year. I, I think maybe he should maybe even play a little bit more over the weekend. The one player I am concerned about is David McCormick. I'm not sure where he's going to fit in this year. He really struggled over the weekend. He's, he's a forward who can occasionally hit that, that baseline, you know, 10 to 15 footer. He's just not a very good defender. I, I, he's the one player I'm a little concerned about, but I do think in the long run, the Jayhawks are going to be good. I, and this, uh, you know, hopefully they can play well against a, a ranked Kentucky team who does have some of that size I mentioned about. Well, and I also the, the Thursday game against Washburn, um, I'm not sure a lot of people realize this, but a number of years back, you know, KU always um, would play a couple of division two teams. Um, usually that fell, um, one would be like their very first game before they got into the regular schedule. And then another one would fall, you know, in mid early December, late November, of course the schedule's different this year, but um, it wasn't that long after Bill Self had been there and they played a couple of MI schools out of state <laughs> that were, you know, competitors with Washburn, Pittsburgh state, Emporia state and Hayes are, are division two schools throw in Newman there. Um, but Newman not in the MIAA. Um, and Bill Self this said, this is ridiculous. He says, we're we're playing, we're going to play a couple of Division twos every year. We're keeping the money in state because, you know, the Division twos they get a nice game check um, for coming and playing KU. And so he started that to where, I don't know what the order is, they play um, two of the in-state schools one year and then the other two the next year and just alternate that. And, you know, I think that's, that spoke a lot about Bill Self. He said, this is ridiculous. We're going to keep this money in state. So our in-state schools can benefit um, from, from playing us. And I thought, I thought that was a, a class act on his part to get that change real early in his tenure. Well, not only that, but can you imagine the recruiting boom that is for those division twos that say, Hey, you're going to play an Allen Fieldhouse." Oh yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, what, what, what a cool deal for those guys. I mean, to, to get the opportunity to get the Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, of course, Washburn's not going to get it this year because it's going to be – well, they'll, they'll get to play in the gym. They won't get the 16,300 in, in, in attendance. But um, but still, I mean, what, what a great deal for those guys to get the opportunity to play in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, and all those games, of course, are going to be this week and throughout the season on 94.7 KSKU. On Wednesday night, kind of a delayed start to their season. Wichita State was supposed to play last week um, with – drew from the tournament they were in so they're scheduled to kick off on 100.3 on wednesday against oral roberts and then a big one on sunday they'll take on former big 12 member missouri and of course we know about the parting of ways with greg marshall interim head coach they brought in an experienced um, assistant coach to their staff i think uh, mitchell i believe was his um, last name um, so what do you think about Wichita State, their prospects getting started? Or Roberts typically, uh, you know, as far as a mid-major typically has a solid program. We know Missouri typically um, pretty good program as well. What do you think of Wichita State um, finally getting the season kicked off this Wednesday? Well, they're going to know where they stand pretty quickly. Um, you know, Oral Roberts and Missouri actually played each other, and Missouri won kind of comfortably. Uh, after the Kim Anderson failure, Missouri's uh, bounced back a little bit better. You know, they're, they're, they're not doing too bad. Uh, you know, an NIT kind of, kind of caliber team, maybe getting closer to NCAA. But then they play Oklahoma State. You know, again, kind of like Missouri, you know, not, they've kind of fallen a little bit, not quite NCAA caliber, but still not bad. And then they get Tulsa right after that. So I tell you, Wichita State's going to know where they stand pretty quickly. I think they would have loved to have been able to play up in South Dakota. But once again, with COVID, it is what it is. And, you know, there's going to be hiccups like that all throughout the season. And, so, you know, Oral Roberts has got – they've got some games in. So – and then they're going to play, you know, back-to-back Power 5 teams. So, if, uh, if, if, if we don't know where Wichita State stands now, we're going to know here pretty quickly. 
and you'll you won't know the effect of a new coach and all of that. I, I don't think we'll we'll see for sure that until you know maybe later this month or into January, especially when they get into a conference play, which they play in a very good conference. That that American is there's a lot of good teams in there. So I, th- I we're going to find out within six weeks the, the long term effects of, of of changing coaches right before the season. And hopefully it's not too bad for them because. Uh... At the end of the day, you know, it's about the kids. It's about the it's about the players who are out there, and you certainly that they're caught in the crossfire with all this. And you certainly hope that they uh, can put that aside and, and try to build something this year. Also on Wednesday, now this game not on our broadcast schedule, but the Sterling uh, College men and women's teams will both be in action at Oklahoma Westland. But before we talk about that game. They actually both played on the same night in the same location, Brad, for the first time this year on Monday. Uh, the women played, which what I consider their arch rival and kind of their kryptonite in the Tabor Lady Blue Jays. And the men played the second half of the doubleheader against Bethel. That was their third different opponent for that evening. We finally got that game locked in. And boy, were we treated to a performance from the SC women. They defeated Tabor 77 to 54. Uh, Tabor actually led this game by seven points uh, late first early. I think it was late first quarter when they had a seven point lead. Uh, Tabor came in. They do what they always do. They, they are always focused, focused on Sterling. They play very well. Sterling lost some of the defenders or some of the offensive weapons early in the game. Um, Tabor was knocking down some threes, which they're a decent three-point shooting team. It's not what they want to do. They want to play in the half court, um, grind out some shot clocks. Uh, Sean Reed's a fantastic coach, and and it was working. And then Sterling, Coach Bassett called a timeout, got on them about their defense. They put on the pressure late in that second quarter from about the three minute mark of the second quarter when they were, uh, I believe they were down or it was, uh, I think it was 33 to 31. They led when they started to apply the full court pressure and double teaming. And from that three minute mark of the second quarter through the mid third quarter, they went on a 20 to nothing run and turned this into a two from a two point game to a blowout over the Lady Jays, and that to me from last year to this year is the biggest difference in this SC women's team. They're just as good, maybe even a little better offensive, but they are much better defensively this year. They're right towards the top of a lot of the major defensive categories, and with that offense, that makes this team super potent, especially um, to beat a pretty good Tabor team by 23. These these numbers from this I'm looking at the box score right now. They're just obscene. Sterling <laughs> shot over 60%. Yeah. I mean, the, in, in women's basketball, that's just – you just don't see those kind of numbers very often. Uh, five for eight from three-point range. Uh, they only shot 10 free throws, but, but they made eight of them. They out-rebounded them by four. But one of the biggest numbers was the 11 steals off 25 turnovers. You know, uh, Tabor shot 42%. And I'm sure if you told, uh, you know, the coaches before the game that, hey, Tabor's going to shoot 42%, you'd probably be like, well – they may very well be in this game then. This could be a pretty close game down the stretch, but they couldn't they couldn't hit a three-pointer. They didn't get to the line very often. And that, that gosh, that defense for Sterling. I mean, when you're forcing 20, uh, 11 steals out of 25 turnovers, and and that doesn't count the number of turnover, turnovers that where they just speed them up a little bit and they, you know, they get that cheap traveling call or, you know, you know, just just throw it away because they're under pressure about to get a 10-second call or something like that. So, just incredible uh, numbers that they put up there against Tabor. Yeah, Tabor started off two of three, I know for sure, from the three-point line, maybe three of five. Uh, Ashton Weeby came off the bench for them just her second game, and she, she had 10 points in a blink of an eye, and I think she only finished with 12 after that. Um, I said they just put the clamps down, and boy, it was it was fun to watch, and again, just the scoring spread out all over the place. Kyla calmly misses a double-double by one assist, actually. 16 points, nine assists. Taylor Wilson, 15 points, five rebounds, four assists. And Wilson, I knew they missed her last year, but boy, with her in there this year, you realize her length and her athleticism. She just, especially both ends of the floor, she's a nightmare to guard on the offensive end 
and that length and her rebounding ability to block shots and keep opponents off the glass is just huge. Alexis Theus, another nice night, 15 points. Uh, Bailey Banger, 12 points. But in this team, you know, they only shot eight threes, made five of them, but their ability to get to the rim, even Bailey Banger, Emily Hendrickson can both at their size get to the rim and score a lot. And, and they're just they're just running people out of the gym right now. It, it's a lot of fun to watch. They're 11-0, 7-0, so hopefully this season will – We'll keep going for him. Yeah, you hate to see it. Uh, it you know, it's going to happen at some point where there's some COVID concerns and they may have to postpone a game or two or three. But, boy, you hope it's just not for very long because this, this team has the potential to be something uh, pretty yep. special. We'll look at the men's game, then we'll look at their games here on Wednesday night. Uh, the men, wow, they, they had come back after 24 days between games this last Saturday and actually played pretty well losing 93-85 at McPherson, but playing pretty well is not something I can use from what they did against Bethel. It was it was a long, ugly night for the Sterling men. 99-51, to they lost to Bethel. Bethel, Ken and Comley hit a three to start the game on their first possession. That was the highlight, Brad. <laughs> uh, next time I blinked, it was 14-3 to Bethel. Uh, a kid, Bryant Mockaby, a newcomer there to the Bethel program, hit his first four three-pointers. Bethel hit 12 of 23 in the first half from the three-point line. They were 19 of 44 for the game. Sterling just, they, they were not in sync. And when this team doesn't run their offense, they're just not overall talented enough to play with some of the athletic teams like Bethel, like their opponent Wednesday, Oklahoma Wesleyan, when they don't when they go one-on-one, -on -one, they're done. And they just shot 26% at 23 turnovers. And, wow, it was – you could tell that they, they had a long time off. It was 24 days between games when they played Saturday. And, and you could really tell it against Bethel. Yeah, I mean, they got out-rebounded by 12. They had, what, seven more turnovers, only eight assists compared to, goodness, 22, 22 for Bethel. So I'm not sure if this was as much a – and it, 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 it's easy to say, oh, they, they got killed. But, you know, at the same time, it's not easy to just turn turn off and, you know, go for three weeks and expect to come back and play a good team like Bethel and expect to – yeah, they, I'm sure that they say, yeah, we did expect that. But realistically, that, that, that wasn't an easy task for them to do. No, and, and, and their coach was also – he was down with uh, COVID for um, quite a while during that time. So he's just – back getting healthy now too so um it's it's early but wow they they do have a long way to go and if they, they've got to play together when they do they can compete in this league but like i said if, if when they go one-on-one -on -one, um it's going to be a long night every night because they're like i said they just don't have that type of talent to challenge like they're going to face a four and two two and one oklahoma wesleyan team here on wednesday this is a team that got some votes in the preseason top 25. Donnie Bostwick down there, he's won a national title in his first go-around with Oklahoma Wesleyan. He's a fantastic coach. I guarantee he's got shooters and athletes on that team. And, uh, boy, the short turnaround, just the two days, um, I think you want to get back out on the court. But, boy, you would, you'd like to see somebody other than the Eagles on Wednesday night. Well, they got Ottawa coming up here pretty quickly, too, and uh, yeah. Ottawa's ranked. So, yeah, definitely a tough stretch of games coming up here. Well, and the women, uh, you look at Oklahoma Wesleyan's record, they're 2-3, and 3-4, three, three and four, but this is on their home floor. This is a team that they jack up 35 three-point attempts per game and hit them at a 37% clip on the season, which is pretty good. So a team like that is always dangerous on their home floor if sterling has a first quarter like they did against Tabor, and they lose track of some of the shooters and oklahoma wesleyan gets started with the three this could be interesting if the threes aren't falling i think sterling can run them off the floor but if the threes are falling it, it, it's it's always that double-edged sword playing oklahoma wesleyan you play a few close games but usually you see them kind of one way or the other you either blow them out or it's close and uh, you just don't know with this team, Oklahoma Wesleyan, when they rely so heavily on the three ball. Well, if, no, like you said, they have one of those nights where they come out, they they go four for five in the first quarter, and then all of a sudden in the second quarter, they, they you know if they just 
continue to hit, and they have one of those nights where they hit, you know, what, 19 out of 30 or something like that, they're, they'll be capable of winning this game. So, on, on the other hand, if they have one of those nights with like, like four of 35, well, it, it could be a, it could be a 40 point bludgeoning. Yeah, that, that I said, it, it'll be it'll be very interesting to um, keep track of that game again. That one not on our broadcast schedule. And after Wednesday, Brad, you talk about a cluster They're The only scheduled game within the next week would be for the men next Wednesday at home against Bethany, the the next scheduled game for the Sterling women would be in 10 days, a week from Saturday at Ottawa. Coach Bassett um, is trying, 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 trying to fill at least a game or two, um, seeing if they can move some games up. We know there's been a, a few teams that have said, well, we're just going to shut down and not play till January. The ramifications of doing that um, for second semester scheduling um, that could be a nightmare. Um, there could be weeks where you've got to play three, and it might even be unheard of. You might have to try to squeeze in a four-game week, and that is not good for anybody. That's when you risk injury. Um, so Coach Bassett is trying, and we'll see what they come up with. I, I think they'll find something in there before that game at Ottawa. We sure hope so, because the last thing this team wants to do, the way they're playing, is go 10 days between games. So hopefully um, – and we'll announce it as soon as we know. They're working at it, um, but, boy, it's it's a mess right now trying to schedule something. Yeah. Well, we move into Saturday, and oh, it didn't get any better for KU this past uh, Saturday as they fell to 0-8 as they got blasted by uh, TCU, a game we thought they might have a chance in. That was a 59-23 game. It wasn't that close. Uh, they travel to Texas Tech, who's now three and six. But boy, they gave the Pokes a run for their money. They lost just fifty to forty-four at number twenty-three Oklahoma State. So KU out on the road. Well, Brad, it was kind of funny because they were playing when we were driving back from Little River's um, state title win there in Newton. So we had the game on the radio, and it just got bad early. They they had six six or seven true freshmen forced into action there were some COVID issues there were some injuries they were snapping the ball over the head of quarterbacks they were throwing interceptions I mean you blinked and it was 24 to nothing and I texted you and wondered if this that train wreck was on TV and you said yeah you were sitting there watching it and then I thought about it I was still <laughs> listening to it at the time um, I know that all those freshmen were playing it was they didn't play the week before against Texas but this thing's getting worse and, and instead of better. I just see, I see no improvement from week to week. And that that's, I think that's the most disappointing thing for me that um, in Les Miles second year that they, they've taken a significant step backwards. Yeah. It, it I just don't see it right now, Scott. It, it would be nice if uh, they could just be in a game at times uh, really other than the Iowa state game, they really haven't been in any games this year. So it's uh it's, it's hard to watch. You know, I think I just kind of watch this to keep my fan card a little bit. And, <laughs> but, man, it's just, I, I just don't know what the answer is. I guess you just have to play out the string and just hope it, get, hope it gets better next year. And did they get the Texas game rescheduled? They would have one game remaining. I have not seen. Did they get that back on the schedule? Yeah, they did uh, for uh, uh, sometime this month. I can't remember what weekend exactly, but, yeah, they did get scheduled again. So, needless to say, if there's going to be anything other than a goose egg, in the win column, it, it, it's going to have to be this week because I just I don't see a tech. Texas has been playing a lot better recently. Yeah, and of course Kansas, of course, had the one win over Texas a few years ago. But there's really at this point, Scott, nothing that indicates that Kansas is not only not going to win a game this year, but not be, but they're they're just not going to be competitive at all. I I too fear that. Uh, I say it again. If if it is going to be that game's on ninety four seven on Saturday. If it's going to be in the last two, I think it's going to have to be this week against a three and six um, Texas Tech Red Raider team. When we move into uh, Sunday, and the Chiefs are back at home uh, to take on the four and seven Broncos. The Chiefs are now ten and one, as they had a twenty-seven twenty-four win um, at Tampa on Sunday. The Broncos. <laughs> Played with basically without a quarterback. 
<laughs> on Sunday. They couldn't get the game moved back. They had all three of their quarterbacks on the roster out for the game. COVID concerns. The league said, no, you need to play. And it was it was predictable against the Saints, even though it was at mile high. 31-3, to the Saints won. Um, let's start off with the, with the Chiefs game. You know, I watched most of this game. I, I missed some of the third quarter. I was doing a few things outside. This shouldn't have been near this close, Brad. I mean, I know we're sometimes I think as fans, we nitpick a little bit more instead of people that look from the outside. But um, they dominated this game in the first half. Um, it was 17 nothing, And then they, they fumbled the ball away. It looks like they were going in. It should have been probably 24 to nothing or maybe even 28 to nothing because their, their first possession, they had two cracks from the one yard line to score and they did. And then they chose to kick a field goal. Um, but then they kind of they relaxed a little bit. The offense kind of got stymied a little bit in the second half after that record-setting first quarter. I mean, Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes were just ridiculously good in that first quarter. But the, and then the defense um, got a little porous, and Tampa got back in this thing. I know it's a still a good road win, but you, you feel like they missed the chance to put this game well away long before they did. Oh my! It's twenty-seven to ten. And Patrick Mahomes flings the pass to McCole Hardman, who's got no one within 50 yards of him, and he dropped it. I mean, that, that would have made it 34 to 10, and that's the game right there. And, uh, yeah, I, you're happy that they won, and you're happy you got Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and all that. And the defense didn't play bad. It's just one of those things that you kind of feel like that they're living on borrowed time almost, and that they're getting ready just to kind of get punked by somebody. Well, the, the defense, I, I like the first half because even in the prime of his career, when Tom Brady is under significant pressure, he's below league average in completion percentage under pressure. And they blitz more in that first half than I think I'd seen him in maybe their previous three or four games because Spagnola just doesn't blitz a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And they were making Brady look very old uh he had to get rid of it he wasn't anywhere close to some receivers and then again they seemed to to stop doing that some in the second half and i guess i just the one that irritated me more than anything is uh i think when it got to be either the when it, the touchdown that made it 17 or the one that made it 24 it was like a third down and three they showed blitz. They backed out of it and rushed only three. Well, what's that <laughs> supposed to do? Keep the ball in front of you. What happened? They got over top for a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> that defeats the entire purpose of a three-man rush um, <laughs> to keep everything in front of you. And that was the baffling part of some of that play calling. Now, that being said, the aggressive play calling when the Chiefs had the ball late in that fourth quarter to throw it twice – to put the game out of reach, you know, because once they did that, the uh, uh, Tampa was out of timeouts and they just knelt down. And, you know, if you don't complete those, of course, they're going to have more time. But m I think their thought process was a lot like mine. If, if they gave the ball back to Tampa with any time at all, it was at least going to be overtime mm -hmm. or they were going to lose it. Yeah. Um, so I think that influenced the play calling. And then, of course, Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey they're just sick good I mean what they did to them in that first quarter and again Todd Bowles ought to have been run out of town trying to cover Tyreek Hill without over the safety top help <laughs> I mean I'll take that I don't care who you're playing no you can no. put you can put Deion Sanders back there in his prime trying to cover Tyreek Hill and I would love to see that matchup as good in prime time was considered the best shutdown corner there ever was to play the game. I still don't know that he could cover as fast as he was. I don't think he could have covered uh, Tyreek Hill for a full game without a little bit of help. Yeah, that's, you know, you can't do that one-on-one, -on -one and it's just kind of pick your poison almost. I mean, now you, you double-team Tyreek, and all of a sudden, McCall Hardman's open, or, you know, maybe you have to one-on-one -on -one with Travis Kelsey. I mean, it's just, it, it's a tough offense to stop, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, yeah, when teams only rush three or four and don't blitz and drop all that coverage, Mahomes says, fine, I'll take seven or eight at a pop. And he, his maturity in that level, and then that, that's when they'll try to run the ball some, which they did very little of. Um, 
against the the Buccaneers, they didn't try to run it really. They used some of their short passes um, as runs. Le'Veon Bell, every time he touches the ball, it seems to get better in this offense. So I like where like where that's going. Um, again, I just would like to see them have that killer instinct to just put things away so it doesn't come down to having to throw the ball on second and third down to get a first down to run the clock out when you when you had a 17 when probably should have been 24 nothing lead in a game yeah then and the the thing is is that you know those other guys like Nicole Hardman they can't they can't drop the passes like they that they have been I mean they've got to you know when Mahomes goes to them they got to be able to make their plays and you know Mahomes, he's he's just the kind of guy. He's, he he would have trust in you and me out there if if we're his <laughs> teammates. You know, this is just the kind of guy he is. He's going to continue to go to whoever's out there, but you got to be able to contribute. You got to be able to produce when you're out there, otherwise you're of no use to them. Yeah, everybody's got to got to do their part. And again, it, it's still it's still a good win. They're ten and one. You hope they just they go out and focus in and, and put the Broncos away early because I looked at the schedule after that two more road games and they're not just road games. They're at Miami who is much improved. And then at new Orleans, the saints, I don't know when they think of getting Drew Brees back, but um, Tayshawn Hill is leading that team very well. I mean, they need to take care of business. If they have any chance of catching the Steelers, um, they've got to, They've got to win those two, and those are going to be tough to win on the road. Yeah, the Chiefs may have to win out just to have a chance. With it. I mean, 15-1 and one may not be good enough. and To get the number one seed, that's incredible to say, but it may not be. And we don't know, um, with more and more COVID issues popping up amongst teams, um, that eight-team playoff, I think, is getting closer and closer to being a reality. Um, they push back how many times now the, the Ravens-Steelers – it was supposed to be Thanksgiving night, and it was going to be Sunday, then it was Tuesday. Now it's Wednesday. Um, so that's juggling, pushing more games back. And if that continues to happen, that eight-game schedule could come into play, and then nobody would have a bye. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope it doesn't come to that. I think six teams is perfect. Yeah, and we know for sure it's going to be seven this year um, and possibly could be eight. But, again, that's Chiefs and Broncos on Sunday well, again, the uh, schedule for um, this Friday and Saturday, uh, full slate of high school basketball on Friday night, 94-7. I'm going to have the call of Sterling at Hillsborough. Girls game only on 95.9. Bueller at Nickerson, 100.3. Doubleheader action, Trinity at Haven. And also doubleheader action on Kicks Country 106, Marion at Gossel. And Saturday you can hear KU and Texas Tech. Uh, in football and also KU and North Dakota State. And as always, to Brad Hallier and for this week's View from the Press Box, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great evening.